Hey guys, this is part one of yesterday's episode that mistakenly was not added to the actual episode. My apologies again. If you're still sticking with us, thank you so much. Hang in there. We're going to get this figured out eventually. Sorry again. I did not have a story put together when I asked you if you wanted to record today, but then I was like, fuck, it's Saturday. Like got to do that yeah so just busted it out real quick it's kind yeah. of a long one mine kind of is too well then it'll make up for the debacle that was last week's episode let's not get crazy i, I don't know if it makes up for it or not but you know yeah if you like that um <laughs> so not really new things going on in my life. Um, oh, I had a, an interesting DoorDash experience the other day. Oh, yeah? Yeah. I. Uh, it was like the very first delivery on my shift. And so I go and I pick up the order. And it was like 4 o'clock, like I ate before I left the house. And when I got this order, something in my brain was like, eat this eat this person's food and I was like no like I really need the money more than I need the food like I don't know. I'm not gonna do that but my brain just the whole time I was delivering I was like eat the food eat it it's your food oh now you God. eat it I was like no we can't fucking do that so so not so I pick up this food and then the delivery address is in fucking Lexington and I'm like okay so I drive all the way up to Lexington and I get to this building and it's enormous. It looks like a, a big doctor's office or something. It's like a business. And I walk in and it is a wildlife rehabilitation facility. Oh yeah? I cannot say the name, but I worked with them briefly before I got licensed. And I saw a lot of shady shit happen in that fucking facility and the owner is extremely shady and did a lot of things that legally they should not have done and when I started volunteering with them at the time they made all of their staff and volunteers sign non-disclosure agreements oh. so I can't even report the shit that I saw there because I could get the pantsuit off of me and nothing would be done about it. And uh, yeah, so when I showed up at this building, I had no idea because last I knew they were in a different facility, but apparently they've moved to this like facility that's four times the size of the last place I knew them to, to So they can do of. more shady things in bigger space. Yes, and then so so when I walked in and I see all of their like logo everywhere and I was like, fuck and then this little girl walks out and she was and I was like yeah I've got a DoorDash order and she was like oh that must be for redacted and I was like oh yep it, it says right here on the app that it is for redacted and redacted is the owner of this facility who is terrible they're a terrible person I, I can't <laughs> fucking stand them I saw too much shady shit happen and I mean, as soon as, as soon as they said that the order was for redacted, I was like, God damn it. I should have just fucking ate it. 
My body, my <laughs> brain, my heart knew I should have just ate it. Fuck them. Just and they didn't fucking tip me either. Wow. Yep. Yep. So not surprising. Uh, no, it was not surprising. But I, I it just <sighs> pissed me off. <laughs> well, yeah, so that was my week. Yeah, I I just kind of played Borderlands as usual. Maybe you like that. Yeah, I'd only beat one and three, so we're going back to two and the pre-sequel. And cool. that's pretty much all we do, day and night. Yeah. Which is fine. I'm just saying that's my life is not super entertaining right now. Same. Exactly. Which I guess nobody's is, really. No. No. We're living in uh, the end times, so. Yeah. I figure just, I'll just enjoy it. Yeah, just enjoy it to the best of your ability. Working on it. So, this is episode eight of Yikes and Mikes. To those of you who have listened from day one, we're sorry. We're glad you're here, though. Uh, so the last episode, oh, Chelsea. Don't. I'm so sorry. Cut. Well, she didn't cut, but it wasn't she, intentional. I, I warned you too. I was you like, you did. You know, I think Zoom only saves when you exit, and you were like, no, no. It's I just press continue recording and uh yeah but i remember jeremy saying that that it didn't save unless yeah. you exited because he was like this is weird yeah and I thought, uh, uh i i took a phone call in the middle of recording it was an important phone call and i just hit pause on the recording and figured it would just pick back up and it did not it it erased that whole first part of Julie's story. The most interesting part of Julie's story, it erased. So Yeah, like the whole point. But I'm so sorry. You know, Terribly. Cool. Uh, Brandon gonna... was like, it's convenient that uh it was just your part. I was like, right? Well it was not intentional. No, that's what it is. I'm trying to you're out of the, the hijacking the podcast. It's my podcast now. Goodbye. You asked me to do it and then you edged me out of the picture. <laughs> I just needed you to get it going. Oh, yeah. You had to take people my, into watching before my, it went downhill. My diabolical plan from the very start. <laughs> I, I am sorry, though. I felt really bad about it. Oh, it's cool. I, mean, I guess. Excuse me. They can go Google the story if they're really interested. Yeah. It will not happen again. I doubt that, but I mean, I'm not mad. It won't be the same. So. It won't be the same error. It'll be a it whole be new a error. It will be a different mistake. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Um, maybe I should have like taken a class on how to. Run a podcast before it started this nonsense. How do you zoom? How do Boomer you zoom? Boomer 101. <laughs> oh, man. The story that I'm covering today 
it is a murder. It yeah, is a surprise. <laughs> surprise. It is a solved murder. There is no mystery about it. Oh yeah, finally. Um but it's not something I've heard covered. Did they anywhere lose the else. head before we get no, into it? They did not. Okay. This story might hurt your feelings. Um like this, on a personal level or like it, it's sad? It, it, both. It it might. It might hurt your feelings, depending on uh what kind of movies you liked to watch as a child. I'll just uh I'll just get right into it. Sounds this good. this is the murder of Judith Barcy. Never heard of it. Oh you will. Well, obviously. <laughs> Judith Eva Barcy was a 10-year-old actress from Los Angeles, California, who appeared in over 70 TV commercials, multiple television shows, and was best known for her voice acting as Anna Marie in All Dogs Go to Heaven and Ducky in The Land Before Time. Oh, wait a minute. I saw a meme that was like, it, it didn't go into it, but it was like, did you know that the inspector of Ducky was murdered or something? Yeah. Or murdered somebody or I don't know, I can't remember. She was but murdered. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, I saw that. In in 1988, her and her mother both were murdered. Yikes. Yep. Wait a so. minute. That when did the first Land Before Time come out? I don't know. Uh I was not really a Land Before Time, all dogs go to heaven, Don Bluth kid well that's because you're fucking stupid so apparently we can't help that i was a disney kid gross um yeah but uh i know that those of you who were big don bluth fans are going to get their feelings hurt over this and i mean it is it's it's a really really sad really fucked up story all the way through so i'm sorry if uh this half of the episode is not funny and we usually try to put our our humor in in with it and there's just not a lot of room to be funny uh, with this story. Yeah, I'm I'm kind of sleepy today and out of it, if you can't tell. I so. think it's the weather. It's kind of gray and rainy, and I'm feeling it, too. You see Jeremy's in the background sleeping, too. I see that. It's just one of those days. Why don't you use sheets on your bed? <sighs> don't get me fucking started. What is wrong with you? It's a problem. I personally like to have sheets on my bed, but Jeremy sleeps like a demon and kicks them off every night, and I get sick of putting them back on. He so kicks I, fitted sheets off? Yes, every night. What does he do? He I mean, wrestles demons in his that's... sleep every night. Wow. Well, that sucks. Yeah. So, uh,. It is what it is. Please don't judge me. <laughs> I'm judging. If it were up to me, I would have sheets on my bed and they would be clean. And it's just not the case when you sleep with a gremlin. This is all that counts, I guess. Yeah. All right. So I'll give you some background here. Uh, Judith Barcy was born on June 6, 1978 to Hungarian immigrants Joseph Barcy and Maria Barcy. Uh, her mother, Maria, once dreamed of becoming an actress herself, but was unsuccessful. 
And so she made it her mission for her child to be a well-known actress. So she sucks. Yeah, um, it does. Uh, so she started grooming Judith to be an actress at the age of two. Jesus. Yeah, I don't agree. Um, so uh, at the age of five, um, Judith was discovered at an ice skating rink. And uh, she landed her first role in an orange juice commercial. Um by the time that she was in fourth grade, she was earning $100,000 a year and was able to purchase a home for her family to live in. They bought a three bedroom house with this money that she was making. Wow. Unfortunately, the more famous that Judith became, the more abusive and paranoid her father became. Oh. Yep. So according to Judith's half-sister, Aggie, their father, Joseph, suffered social rejection from the other children and teachers at his school as a child, and he had an absent father. So he eventually, and this is all Aggie's words, eventually he came to hate his mother for allowing his father to abandon him which caused him to view all women as quote-unquote whores. Um, he was known for being physically abusive to Aggie's mother, uh, his first wife, Clara, and he was known for having an alcohol addiction. And it just gets worse. So was he like jealous of the kid or something? Yes. Gotcha. So Joseph would, sorry, Joseph would often be home drunk rather than working at his job as a plumber. And he refused to let his wife Maria work, which resulted in the family being on welfare for a brief period of time prior to Judith's career taking off. Okay, I was about to say, how, how does she make $100,000 a year and they're on welfare? Like, prior, yeah. prior to her becoming famous, yeah. they were on welfare because he, he drank so much, wouldn't go to work and wouldn't let his wife work. So, um, so she ended up, her career takes off. She starts making some money. They buy a home in Canoga Park in 1985. And after the home is purchased... Joseph becomes so paranoid that he has wrought iron fencing with spikes installed around the property. Um, he was very, very secretive with the neighbors and would keep conversations with them to a minimum. What is he paranoid of? Did um, it say? Like, just... It didn't really go into a lot of detail. We'll get into it. We'll get into All it. Right. So soon Joseph's drinking began to get really out of hand. It was known that Joseph would become easily frustrated in his daily life and to deal with his frustrations, he would drink. And because he stayed drunk so often, he couldn't hold a steady job. So he would work these low paying, excuse me, odd jobs for really short amounts of time. Um, and then when he would drink, he would become abusive. So it was just this like vicious cycle from start to finish, just drinking, not working, not, you know, drinking because he wasn't working. <sighs> it's a lot. 
So when he would drink, he would get abusive. And um, usually the abuse was focused on the wife, Maria. Um, so he would beat her and he would threaten her life. And all of this was happening in front of Judith constantly. And uh, the, the more famous that Judith got, the more abusive and reclusive Joseph got. So he became more and more angry and paranoid. He was super jealous of Judith. You know, she was making good money. She was in the public eye. Everybody adored her. She was a beautiful little girl. And so she was getting all this attention. He was super, super jealous about it. Um, he would routinely threaten to kill himself. He would threaten to kill Maria and Judith. Um, sounds like my dad. Oof. Yeah. I'm sorry. That's oh, cool. It's not, though. Well, I mean, look, I'm working through it. <laughs> You're in a much better place now. Yeah. So although Maria was a full-time homemaker, uh, Joseph would complain about her housekeeping to his friends and would show him, like, mounds of clothes and toys left throughout the house and just complained that she was good for nothing and apparently he was like a really really bad neat freak and wanted things done a certain way which i mean do what you damn self yeah you're not working <laughs> yeah um joseph was arrested three separate times for drunk driving and after that last time he reportedly stopped drinking but would continue to threaten Maria and Judith. His threats included cutting their throats and burning down the house. Um, he reportedly even hid a telegram informing Maria that a relative in Hungary had died in an attempt to prevent her from leaving the United States with Judith. So that was, that was the big paranoia issue. Um, he was very afraid that they would leave him and in leaving him would take all of the money with them. Right. So on the outside, the way he presented himself to people was that he seemed to adore Judith. He called her a little one, um, would dote on her in public. But as the abuse worsened, uh, that facade started to fall apart and all of the abuse started to spill out in front of the neighbors. Uh, the neighbors described Joseph as often becoming inexplicably angry with the little girl. And one neighbor, sorry, one neighbor recalls an afternoon when Maria had arrived home with a kite for Judith. And so Judith is looking at this kite and Joseph snatches it from her. And Judith gets upset and she's like, please be careful. You're going to break it and starts crying. Well, Joseph turns to Maria and the neighbor and he said, quote, look at her. She's just a spoiled brat who doesn't want to share her new toy. And then he takes the kite and breaks it into little pieces in front of Judith. Jesus. Yep. Uh, so in 1986, Maria files a police report accusing Joseph of threatening her over the last five years. It and didn't do any good, did it? No. She also, and this is, you know, this is why so many people don't report abuse because 
everybody just knows that it very rarely goes anywhere. Yeah. Um, so she reports that he's been threatening her for five years. She reports that he hits her and chokes her and police find no evidence of injuries on Maria. And so she eventually refused to prosecute because she recognized that the cops weren't going to do anything about it anyway, which yeah. can you blame her? You know? Uh-huh. So um, in 1987, Judith was cast in her very first movie, which was Jaws 4, The Revenge. And she was set to film it on location in the Bahamas. And before she left to go film, her father held a knife to her neck and said, quote, if you decide not to come back, I will find you and I will cut your throat, end quote. Uh, One night, they were having a party at their house, and Joseph got pissed by all the attention that his daughter was getting from their guests. Um, So Judith goes into the kitchen, and her dad follows her into the kitchen. And the whole time that they're walking into the kitchen, he's calling her a damn little brat. And then he grabs her by her ponytail and throws her on the ground. Um, She also confessed. So she told this was a a retelling um, that she had told a schoolmate about this incident. And she also told this same schoolmate that um, her father often threw pots and pans at her. And one time uh, she got hit in the head with a pot and it ended up, you know, she ended up getting a nosebleed from it. Also in classic abuser fashion, Joseph would frequently apologize profusely to Judith and reassure her of his love. After pulling her hair in a rage, he bought her a pink television set to make up for it. Yep. It's bad. It's rough. So as the abuse goes on, Judith begins to experience emotional problems, of course. Um, She begins gaining weight and um, exhibiting disturbing behavior. So what she started doing was she would pull out her eyelashes and she would pull out her cat's whiskers. And this got to be so bad that um, a friend of the family saw Judith and Maria out in public and was really confused because Judith didn't have any eyelashes at all. And I guess they just weren't aware of like the abuse that was going on at home. And they were like really confused. Like, why doesn't she have eyelashes? I can definitely attest to that. I mean, I, I didn't grow up in a very abusive, physically abusive home. Um, but there was a period in time when I was a kid that I was dealing with a lot of um, emotional abuse. And I have a permanent bald spot in the back of my head where I pulled my own hair out for so long. Yeah, I, I do the eyelash thing and I pick at my lips and stuff. Yeah, I occasionally like pull at my eyebrow hair and stuff. I don't pull Makes my sense. eyelashes, but yeah, it's definitely like a neurotic stress response. 
for sure. When, when she was asked why she was pulling her eyelashes and her cat's whiskers out, Judith replied, quote, because of all the problems at home, end quote. She also told a couple who were friends with the family, quote, I'm afraid to go home. My daddy is miserable. My daddy is drunk every day, and I know he wants to kill my mother, end quote. Uh, Judith's school friends and neighborhood friends were also fearful of Joseph. Uh, they reported that if they went to the house to see if Judith could play outside, Joseph would say, quote, oh, that little ass, she's not here, end quote. So um, in May of 1988, Judith attended an audition for a singing part in All Dogs Go to Heaven. And uh, the song, and I don't have the name of the song right in front of me, but it was something about a home. It was a song about a home. And she was so distraught trying to sing the song that she like broke down in tears and just couldn't finish the rehearsal. And this really concerned her agent, uh, Ruth Hansen. So Ruth orders Maria to take Judith to a child psychologist. And after just one session with the psychologist, um, the psychologist reported them to Child Protective Services. Right. A spokeswoman for CPS later said that the agency had contacted Maria, who said she had, quote, a plan of action. So I guess they were like, hey, we understand that there's some problems. What are you going to do about it? And Maria was like, oh, I have a plan. I'll take care of it. And that was the end of it. So that's fuck up number two. Again, yeah. CPS is not really known for following through on actual abuse cases where somebody needs to step in. Oh, yeah, I know. You know, it's, it's a thing. Like, um, So Ruth Hansen, uh, Judith's, oh, the word just escaped me, her agent, Ruth Hansen, Judith's agent, um, claimed that Maria said, quote, they weren't doing anything anyway, so I guess I'll just have to handle it myself, end quote. Again, not surprising. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so Maria ended up renting an apartment on the other side of town, and she and Judith would spend their days in the apartment, but then they would return home to the house where Joseph lived in the evenings. And I guess that she was just kind of like building up her strength to get away from him. Um, I don't believe he knew about the apartment. I guess he just assumed that they were off, you know, going to casting calls or working yeah. and then they would come home in the evening. And I think that was just her way of trying to like distance herself from the abuser without, you know, going the full extent. Um, so Ruth Hansen asked Maria why she didn't just make a complete break with Joseph. And Maria said that she didn't want to lose the nice home that Judith's career had bought the family. Buy another one. Yeah. Uh, there was a couple of other things too. She, they were waiting on like a tax refund and she was worried that Joseph would get the refund and she didn't want him to have it. 
Um, she was definitely trying to make that final step. She just hadn't quite gotten there yet. So uh, Judith was last seen riding her bike on the morning of July 25th of 1988. She also had an appointment that day with Hanna-Barbera Productions for a role in an upcoming cartoon series, but she never made it. Um, Ruth Hansen called Joseph looking for her and Joseph said that a car had come and taken his wife and daughter away. Uh -huh. On July 27th, a neighbor by the name of Eunice Daly heard a single gunshot while she was watering her plants and then saw smoke coming from the Barcy home. And she recall recalled thinking, quote, he's done it. He's killed them and set a fire in the house, end quote. Um, yeah, which I'm kind of like why it, she clearly knew about the abuse. Like, why didn't she report it? Like, well, he's done it. That's it. Yeah. Knew it. So the neighbor calls the fire department and they show up and quickly put out the fire. Um, the date of the murder has never been determined. The police said that Joseph could have either killed Maria and Judy, Judith on July 25th or, or July 26th. Um, the death certificate states time of death as being July 27th, the day that they were found. Um, it is believed that after realizing that Maria was planning to leave him, Joseph entered Judith's bedroom and shot her in the head and then shot Maria in the same way as she ran down the corridor toward her daughter's room. Jesus. The shot that was heard by the neighbor was Joseph shooting himself in the head after he had doused Maria and Judith's bodies in gasoline and set fire to the home. Um, Judith, God, this gives me chills. Judith's body was found in her canopied bed just a few feet away from the pink television set her father had brought her as, bought her as an apology for hurting her. So roughly two months after the Barcy's deaths, the LA Times reported on September 7th, 1988, that CPS was scolded by a county advisory panel for dropping its investigation of threats of violence against Judith and Maria. The outcome of the investigation was that more funds be allocated so that social workers are not overburdened and that before a case is closed, the home should be visited and or the child interviewed. Whether that is still in practice today or those funds are still being funneled into DCBS that way, I cannot say. Yeah, they still don't really do very much. No. Um, and I know that there are, like, please don't take it as I'm talking shit about all child protective service workers. I know there are some out there who really do their best. But it's in my experience that the majority of them don't care that much or don't yeah. follow through that well. And a lot of times kids end up getting hurt because people don't take their fucking job seriously. Yeah, they're not thorough. No. Thorough enough. No, they are not. 
So on August 9th of 1988, Judith and Maria were buried side by side in white caskets at Forest Lawn Memorial Park in Los Angeles. In June 2004, a fund was set up to get headstones for their graves, which, why were there not? She yeah, was a I, beloved child actress known by many, and I'm they sure have, they like, had some money? money in their yeah. account when they died. Like, why, why did they go that long without headstones? That's weird. I don't like it. But anyway, so some, some funds were raised um, and they got their headstones. So Judith's marker was placed on August 23rd of 2004. And the one for her mother was placed on January 28th of 2005. And um, this really hurts, but I'm going to tell you, Judith's marker reads, quote, our concrete angel. Yep, yep, yep. End quote. Oh my God. I know it hurts me so bad. Like it hurts too much. So um, <clears throat> that is the story of the murder of Judith Barcy. And I'm really sorry that I had to hit y'all with such a dark story this week. Um, and before I hand this over to Julie for her to tell her story. I do just want to add um, the number for the National Domestic Abuse Hotline. If you or someone you know is experiencing domestic abuse, please do not hesitate to try and get help. It's a real serious problem that happens more than we like to think about. Uh, so the number for the National Domestic Abuse Hotline is 1-800-799-7233. Uh, and that's my story. Well, if I wasn't depressed before, I am now. I'm really sorry. It was super heavy. No, it's a... Uh, I never knew all that. I mean, I knew I'd seen where she was killed or whatever, but I didn't know the story behind it. Yeah. 